Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really amazing founder, a founder that has done it so many times that uh, I was getting dizzy eh? when, when, when I was hearing about all the number of companies that he's built, scaled, financed, sold. I mean, you name it, all the above. We're going to be talking quite a bit about everything, you know, in the journey, uh, in that journey that we like to hear. Obviously, uh, in the case of this founder, we're going to be talking about when he decided to become an entrepreneur in his life. It actually happened in his childhood. Also about VCs and the support that they provide or that they don't provide to founders. And then also how to build teams as well as the development side. You know, when you're thinking about an idea and how you really put it into a product that you bring to market. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Sheila Van Sieve. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So originally born and raised in Jerusalem, there in Israel. So give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? It was actually pretty nice Jerusalem back then, very small city. Today it's huge. It's close to one million people. But when I grew up, it was a very small city. Actually, Israeli and Arabs, we all grew together, which was really nice. And I... I grew up in a very in a religious family in Jerusalem. Um, I went to a school there, and then I left from the high school. I left the house at the age of twelve. Uh, I went to a, a school that you know, uh, you stay there for three weeks, and then you're going home for uh, for twenty four hours. Um, but it was uh, it was fine. My childhood uh, it's a big story. It's, it wasn't a regular childhood. It wasn't so happy childhood from the family side. Uh, from my relationship with uh, with my father, so this has really impact my uh, I would call it my ability to to study. I let's be honest, didn't really study anything. Um, I didn't finish my high school, uh, but I think uh, in this process I actually understood, or you know, about myself that I need to find my uh, my own way and uh, to be independent and do what I want to do. And because I had type 1 diabetic from very young age, from the age of 8, and we're talking 40 years ago when it was completely different from today, uh, it was kind of a mission for me to uh, to start uh, changing this, this, this market, changing the way people with type 1 diabetic live and the quality of life. And that's, uh, that was my first company. This is how I start my uh, entrepreneurship uh, journey. And that company ended up uh, being Dario, which uh, went public and uh, actually at the peak of the valuation of the company, it was about 300 to 400 million. So uh, pretty amazing to have um, first uh, outcome, you know, first company, first outcome like that. I guess as part of that journey, you know, how long did it take for the company to go public? And and most importantly, like how how was that process of developing it? and bringing, you know, the product, you know, of Dario to market? What did you learn there? So it was really interesting because when we started Dario, try to convince investors and VCs to invest in the company was 
helpless. They didn't, they didn't invest. They didn't want to have. They didn't understand why anything needs to be changed in this market. You know, they're looking at the big companies selling drugs and insulin, and they think this, that's all. But when I actually look at this market, and I give you an example, you know, when you use the standard kit to check your blood level, and you're a teenager in school, you don't want to go around with a big kit and everybody see you test your blood. And when I look at this, I said, okay, let's change this. Let's have a product that actually connects to the smartphone when it was the beginning of the era. We're talking about 2011. And let's let's help the young generation, the young people with type 1 diabetic to have, make sure they keep growing healthy because they check the blood sugar, they use the insulin the right way. Couldn't convince any VC how important is this. Not in the first time and not in the last time for me. So uh, we actually connect with a banker from New York that told us, let's do a, what's called back then S1. S1 was when you actually, um, I don't know if you remember, I, I don't think it actually exists today anymore, but you became public company by selling shares and get money from investors. So we actually raised $6 million in this way and we became public company. And then when you became public company, it's much easier for you to raise more money. So altogether, before I left the company, we raised around $40 million. Until today, I think the company raised more than $150 million. And what we created in Dario, which was really amazing, because think about this, that was the iPhone number one, number two. And we came and said, we're going to use the iPhone as medical device company, a medical device device. And what we did, we created a, a product that connect direct to the to the smartphone. So you check your blood level, sugar level when it's connected to the smartphone. So just imagine going to the FDA and convince them that you can use smartphone as medical device. That's a long took almost a year to go this process. And I still remember the first question, what's happened if the battery is off? You know, it's a medical device. What are you going to do? So my answer is you're going to charge it. And it's taken a long time to get to this, you know, way of thinking. This is where we're going. And then together with the product, we build the, the first diabetic management app. And I really believe that Dario made a big change in this world because I think after Dario, the big companies actually understood that user experience, it's very important. And from that day, I, I think we saw a big shift in the medical device in, in the diabetic world. And uh, today, it's a completely different world. You know, with the continuous glucose monitoring in this, in the, in all the different apps and, and everything, it's really a different, a, a different world. And I'm very happy to be, to see that and, and, and to know that I was part, uh, part of uh, making this change. So then, so then for this, obviously, you know, like you ended up shifting gears uh, after Dario. And rather than, you know, obviously, as they say, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. Now, in your case, you know, you, you, you went all out. I mean, after Dario, you literally went at it with three companies at the same time. I mean, obviously, doing one company is, is, is already difficult. Doing three is really absolutely incredible. I mean, that was Emendo. You had the SmartSime and then also MyBiotic. Uh, so, so what, what were you doing with those three companies? If you could really quickly tell us, you know, what was the uh, business model on each one of them, you know, that would be awesome. 
Yeah, so first of all, it's it's a little bit different because, for example, Amendo and uh, my biotics, it's not my area, meaning I'm not this, and I'm not, you know, a, a really someone who studied chemistry and became an expert in gene editing. It's not really me. But I had a partner that he was the, the scientific guy, and my job was on the business side, meaning building the company, raise the money, and, and building on this side of the company while he was in the lab and make sure that the company actually, you know, going through the development process of gene editing and in microbiome. So my side was more on the business. We actually uh, got uh, for Amendo and Smartime uh, VC money on the same time to the two companies. So it actually was also something very unique that the same VC, one of the biggest in the world for Pharma World, invest in two companies at the same time. Uh, Emendo was sold two years ago to a very big Japanese pharmaceutical company. And in MyBiotics, which is a microbiome company, still running studies. I'm not involved in the both companies anymore. Uh, I left them in 2017. Um, Emendo still running uh, as a part of this uh, pharmaceutical company and uh, my biotics running as a separate company doing studies right now. Um, uh, Smartzyme was a different story. What I try to do in Smartzyme is to make the continuous glucose monitoring much more accurate. That was back then a huge problem because the difference was 20 to 25% every time you blood sugar, which if you use insulin, it's very dangerous because it can create hypoglycemia all the time. So we took the enzyme that actually take the blood and convert them to an electronic, electric signal and give you the number, and we try to do direct evolution in protein of the enzyme to make it much more accurate. We actually achieved that. And the plan was to take this enzyme and create a a new continuous glucose monitoring. And the VC that invested in the company decided they want to shut it down because uh, probably one of the reasons because Dexcom came with the G, G6 uh, CGM, which was really accurate. And I'm not sure it was the right decision, but that, that that's the risk you take when you have VC. You know, they make decisions for you. So um, they, uh, they, that was the decision. So this is these three companies, and then I start the current company, which called Emulate. And we'll talk about that in just in just a little bit because I want to unpack, you know, a few things here. So I guess on the on, for example, with Emendo, which you guys sold for th- for about three hundred and fifty million, what did you learn there uh, when it comes to acquisitions? I was actually in the process of the acquisition on the, little bit on the side uh, sidewalk because my partner was the one who. Um, running this um, uh, deal, but I was from the side, I was involved a little bit, but not, I would not say that I was deep involved, it was more him. Uh, what I learned, to be honest, that sometimes you need more patience, because if we wait probably another year or two, it would be a billion dollar exit. So sometimes you need to have a little bit more patience on the process. Uh, but also, uh, I must say, um, you know, when you have 70 people, seven zero, that actually get a million dollars or more from this exit and they can go and buy a house and you change their life, it's actually a very good uh, feeling. So 
you know, it's about size. When you're going to set the company and, 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 and if you wait and then maybe we take the risk and nobody will be happy and enjoy the exit or you, you want quickly to do exits. I can tell you about myself. I, my, the way I like to do stuff, it's build the company and sell the company. Because I don't see myself as the best uh, CEO out there. I don't think my qualities is, is, you know, coming as a CEO. I, I know very well how to come with the idea, how to build the team around the idea, how to actually develop the idea and make it a product. But if someone will come to me and say, come be CEO of a company, I will say, it's not me. I'm, I'm really an entrepreneur. I'm less someone who one company. So my approach with my company is let's build the company and sell the company. Let other people that actually know how to grow companies do the job. Um, so this is, but this is who I am. I know other entrepreneurs that really likes, you know, running companies and sort of going and going and going, but it's not me. And what about with Smart Time? Obviously, you know, with Amendo, it was a really nice outcome, but with Smart Time, obviously quite disappointing, you know, to see, you know, VC shutting it down. I guess, you know, what, what, what would you say that you got, you know, out of that experience, especially when it came to VCs, perhaps not supporting really the, uh, the entrepreneurs there? Yes. It was very clear to me to do everything in my power not to take money from VCs. That, that was my, uh, you know, to summary my experience working with VCs. And I, and I need to tell you something. I met, I did a list one time. I met more than 300 VCs in the U.S. alone. And I must say from that, point I try my the hardest I can not to take any money from VCs. Uh, the disappointed and I'm talking in my area, you know, maybe in this in you know in the tech area it's completely different. I have no experience. But when I'm speaking about you know pharma, medical device and consumer area, I have almost zero appreciation for the VCs. And and it's from the the moment you sit in front of them and and they have zero respect to the entrepreneurs. They always know better than you. And sometimes you sit in front of someone who is 25 years old and, you know, his father play golf with the, you know, main partner in the VC. This is why he got the job. He have no idea what you're talking about, but he knows better than you. The way they invest money, which it's completely wrong, if you ask me. We don't, we don't need the don't need VC money when you have $25 million sales. You need the VC's money when you need to start sales, when you need to push, when you need to develop the product. Now, we can say that's the business model, but the problem is it's dangerous. We live today until 85, 90, 95, and it's got getting long and long life, right? We need the solutions. And if entrepreneurs will not get the money to create and develop these solutions in 25 years, for 35 years, we're going to have any big problem. But you cannot do that today because nobody gives you money. If you're a new entrepreneur and you have a great idea and you're going to the VCs, you have no chance. You have no chance. They will tell you, go, develop, sell, and come to me when you have $25 million revenues. I will give you some money. Who needs this money when I have $25 million revenues? I need the money when I start a company. I need the seed money. I need the money, the money to, to develop the product. And where you actually need the money, the VC is not there. And, and I think this is, needs to be changed. And I can tell you about for the company that I'm running now, Emulate, that was 
amazing. This is a product that literally changed the life of mothers around the world. Change the life. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieverson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. Let's talk about this because uh, obviously this was the next stop in your journey. You know, after you were done with those companies, you know, with Emulate, you know, basically something happened with your daughter that uh, made you think. So, so walk us, you know, and the folks that are listening through what happened and why you decided to take action. Sure. So, so my wife started breastfeeding my, uh, my uh, first daughter, Amalia, and she didn't have enough milk. So at some point, you know, the lactation consulting say, listen, you need to go um, formula because you don't have milk. And then we tried bottles and she didn't took any bottles. And it took us months. We try everything. And, you know, you see your wife struggling and it became like it's a mental issue because you have a little baby, they're crying nonstop, she's angry. You cannot feed her. And it's all the household, it's, it's really hard. So at some point I look at the doctor and he said, let me ask you a question. If I can 3D print my wife's breast and nipple, is this is going to help the baby? And he said, yeah, definitely, but you cannot do that. So that was the first time I said, okay, this is the challenge we need to face. It took me a few years because, you know, we needed to wait until the deep camera was introduced in the smartphones, especially iPhone. As soon as the deep camera introduced what we did, we started building a scan on the app that actually can scan the mother breast and nipple, and we scan it. We're not taking any picture. That's important to understand. We're using seven different data points on the breast, and we're taking this picture. And we emulate this size and shape and skin tone to one of our five shapes and shades. Now, why we have five shapes? We actually did a very big uh, study, more than 1,000 uh, women, that we scanned their breasts and nipples from different uh, uh, stages. You know, young, uh, teenagers, mothers, before pregnancy, after giving birth, all these stages. And 
by the way, it was published in the Academia magazine, uh, I think three or four weeks ago, how we did the study. And when we did the study, we defined the five shapes that are the most, I would say, 95% of the women around the world earth. And we developed this nippet that actually what's really amazing about nippet is that it's a feel and, and act like a modern nipple. And that means, of course, first of all, the, the feeling. When you touch this nipple, you actually feel that it's like a, mother, like a woman nipple. But it's also acting like this, meaning when you take a regular butter to let the baby drink, it's like he's drinking. Here, he needs actually to walk. He needs to suck in order to get the milk. So all the benefits of breastfeeding by developing the oral size of the baby, the jaw, everything, you get the same benefits from this nipple. Of course, breastfeeding itself is always the best who can, for the mothers who can breastfeed, but when you cannot, this is the best solution. And what we also did in this company, we said, okay, that's beautiful, but let's close the loop. How are we closing the loop here? So you have the app, because you need to download the app and you need to scan your breast, your breast and nipple in order to get the right shape and shade, right? But then you also can use the app for all the activities, uh, breastfeeding, butter feeding, all this information. But we also know that mothers are very tired and stop typing and it's very hard. So we said, okay, let's try to help them. So of course you have voice comment. You can talk to the app, you can tell the app your activities and it's going to the app. But we also build a warmer to warm the milk. But this warmer, it's like sensor machine. And I give you an example so you, so you understand what I'm meaning. In America, as you know, you give birth, you have maternity leave for a few weeks, you're going back to work. So today, the mother sitting in the office, is texting the caregiver and asking, did the baby eat? How much eat? Do I need to pump more milk? Our product, what's happening is soon as the caregiver put the button on the warmer, the mother gets a notification. Warmer activate. When he finished to eat, she will know exactly how much he eat and how long it's took. Then she can go and pump more milk. Then she using our bag, which scanning and go direct to the app. And next time she's taking milk from the fridge, we're actually telling her which one's the latest, the, the first coming, first going. So we're closing the loop for the mothers using this product. So she gets all the information she needs. Now, just so you know, in this market, this does not exist. And think about this. It's crazy because you have 4 million new customers every year in the United States and 4 million in Europe. Nobody took this market through the 21 century. So if you're talking about company like Procter & Gamble, they sell diapers. But they don't know how much diapers they, you, you use. They have no idea when the box of diapers are finished. With our product, they actually send notification to the mother. You have five last diapers in your box. Can we ship you a new box? And they ship her a new box. This does not exist today. So when you look at Emulay, in one end, it's a product company with beautiful bottles and pacifiers and almost a, a 12 different products. But it's also a software company that collects lots of data to help the, 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 the parents and also help the companies that actually sell 
to the household whatever they need in order to grow the babies and, and manage the house. So it's actually a beautiful company that combines software and product together. And we are in the market. We're selling. So obviously, you know, tremendous journey here. Now, you guys have raised about $20 million, but given your pre prior experience, obviously you did things in a different way when it came to raising money. How did you go about it and how did you make sure that you were getting money from the right people for the right reasons? All right. So first of all, first money, I invested the first money in the company was the first $1 million. Then I um, I met a couple from uh, from Huntington Beach in California. They this couple sold three companies in the baby area. So I sat with them and I told them the story. I said what I want to do, and they look at me and say, "Listen, this is going to be big. We want to be part of this." That was the next money coming in the company, and this is how we raised the first six million dollars. It was friends, friends. And really good people. So the ba the base of our the foundation of our investors, it's a very smart people. They, they, each one of them was entrepreneur, build a company, sold the company, make money from these companies. And so I'm actually survived myself with a group of very smart people and entrepreneurs that can help. And and this is how slowly, slowly we grow up our investors uh, a list. And then the the next one was eleven million dollars. Uh, we actually had one, uh, two big investors. One of them is the owner of the third largest uh, uh, logistic company in the world. I will not say his name because I didn't ask for permission. But this family invested more than $3 million in the company. And amazingly, our manufacturer from Indiana, Greg, invests $3 million in the company too and brings his friends for another $1 million. So... We had $7 million just from two groups. The one is our manufacturer and one is a big investor. And then the current investors and, 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 and friends of friends. So there's no VC. And I actually must tell you, I approached VCs. And what I did, I actually approached VCs owned by women, owned by females, mothers. I, you know, it was clear to me that I'm going to introduce them what we're doing and they will see the benefits for the mothers and for the for the families. And, you know, even, even you know, one of our big uh, consumers, we can see it's a, it's a same-sex couples. They, they want to use this product. And let me tell you something. No one of them showed to the call. Mm. No one, even no one from this VCs female owns show to the to the to the presentation to see what we are doing. This is something I cannot understand. It's it's something that over my a, a, a limit to understand how they don't even care to come and see a product that's actually going to help so many mothers around the world. So what do you think happened? Why do you think they didn't show up? I think they don't care. I think mm -hmm. these people from the VCs they full of themselves. And they don't care. And let's be honest, this is a this is a podcast of entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. They had nothing to do without us. Take the entrepreneurs out of the picture. What are they going to do with the money? Nothing. But they don't understand that. They believe they are in the top of the food chain and we are on the, the bottom of the food chain. But it's the opposite. We are the entrepreneurs of the top of the, the food chain. They are on the, the bottom. Because they don't come with any ideas. Without us, there's nothing to do. Nothing. 
But the way they're looking at entrepreneurs, and it's not just me, you know, I'm speaking with my friends. I met lots of entrepreneurs in my 20 years of journey, and I, I have friends. All oh, they have the same stories. And, and, I, and I agree with you uh, if we were to generalize. But obviously, there are some really great exceptions and really good people, too, out there. In the uh, tech. In the yeah. tech side, I heard from many entrepreneurs on the tech side, they, they have an amazing VCs. They really understand and help and, and you know, I heard a lot of amazing stories. I can tell you from my experience in the medical device and consumer side, this is needs to have a big, big change. Well, it's hey, you just... know, it, it, it all comes, you know, with awareness. Now, I want to ask you something here, Shiloh. Uh, when we're talking about investment, you know, and this money that you guys have raised, I want to talk about vision because obviously that's what you're enrolling people into, you know, whether it's investors, uh, customers, or employees. So if you were to go to sleep tonight, and you wake up in a world where the vision of emulate is fully realized. What does that world look like? So the vision is to change this world in a way that, first of all, we give the mothers the best tools to feed the baby. That, that's the first thing we want to do. And there's 20%, 20% of the babies, they have this what called, it's not the, the scientific term, but that's the term everybody uses, nipple confusion, meaning they... They don't latch on a bottle when they need to latch on a bottle or on the breast. This 20% of the babies and the families going through a very hard times. For me, the first people I want to meet and I want to give them the opportunity to use this product is this 20% of the babies. Then you have the rest. The rest of the mothers that will give them break. You have mothers that breastfeed. And, you know, she wants to go to do yoga in the morning. In our case, she just can give the husband or the partner the button and he can, he can feed the baby. And when she's coming back from a break, she can keep breastfeeding. It's not happening today because today if you give the baby a regular button, it's almost 99% of the cases it will never go back to the breast. Because it's completely different snipping and completely different clutch. Now product, it can go back and forth from the breast to the button, from the button to the breast. So this is something we really... Happy to see our mothers get the break and they go to do yoga or gym or, or, or whatever they want to do. Go have a coffee with a friend, but still come back home and keep breastfeeding. And secondly, it's all the, the, the support we're building around this product that actually helps the mother and the family running the day-to-day -day life. So that's the vision from this part. And if you ask me about the vision from the business side, so as I told you before, I build companies and sell companies. And for me, the, the business idea is actually to sell the company. My goal is in the next uh, 12 to 16 months to one of the big players that they can take it and actually make it worldwide uh, a product and push it very hard. Uh, we build the product. We build the mass production line. We launch in the United States. Actually, today, today, right now, while we're speaking, we're launching in Europe in eight countries in Europe. And we're growing every, every month to another area. Um, and hopefully in the next uh, 12 months, I want an IOP to have a 5 to 10% of the market. And uh, millions of families are happy. I love it. Now, I want to talk to you about the past, but doing so with a lens of reflection. Let's say I was to put you into a time machine, Shiloh, and I bring you back in time to that moment where you were perhaps thinking, about bringing your first company to life, you know, which was Dario. Let's say 
you have the opportunity of speaking to that younger self. And you're able to give that younger self, that younger Sheila, one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Yeah, I think the first uh, the first advice I will give to myself is don't be scared. Everything will be fine. And I will explain. I mean, when, you, when you start your first company in the second and the third, you need money. And sometimes you, you got the first round and you don't have enough money and then you get scared. You need more money. You have employees. And what I'm going to do, you don't sleep. You're going around like crazy. I think the first advice I can give to myself and others, it will be fine. If you have the good product and you have the right vision, you're going to get the money. So get scared and, and not sleeping and, you know, walking around like a zombie Back then, I even uh, smoked a little bit. So it's like, you know, you keep smoking because you're so stressful. No need. If you have the right product, you did the right research, and you can prove your vision, you're going to get the money. So keep focus on what you have and what you build, and relax. It will be fine. I think that's the best advice I will give myself 20 years ago, and I'll give it to entrepreneurs now. If, just make sure you have the right product. The rest will be fine. That's amazing. I love yeah, that. And find well, the right partner. That's extremely important. Oh, yeah. Always find the right partner. So, Shiloh, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? My email, S-H-I-L-O at emulate.com. Amazing. Well, hey, easy enough. Well, Shiloh, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.